a reading from the prophet Malachi. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, He scatters abroad, He gives to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Christ. Then they sent to him some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came to him and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them, or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius, and let me see it. And they brought one. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. 
and they were utterly amazed at him. The Gospel of the Lord. Some time ago now, I came across a letter that was sent to one of those magazine advice columns. It went like this. Dear Anne, I've met this wonderful man. He moved into my apartment a few months ago, and each month he's been contributing to the cost of the rent, and sometimes he pays for the groceries. However, I am still paying all of the local taxes and utility bills. I think we should be sharing more of our expenses, but I don't feel that I know him well enough to discuss finances with him. What should I do? There was once a time when talking about sex was embarrassing, but it seems those days are long gone. Most people are far more likely to be open about their sex lives than they are their financial lives. But you know, the Bible has a lot more to say about money than it does about sex. I think it might be because the abuse of money is even more of a problem than the abuse of sex. Now, of course, you could be excused for not realizing this in today's sex-crazed culture that dominates so much of the world's attention, including how the church responds. Certainly, we must continue to uphold God's good and gracious teaching about sex. And don't forget, God invented it. He's all for it in its proper context, namely marriage. But the church should not get so focused on sexual sin that it somehow elevates it above all other sins. Nor should the church shy away from addressing financial sins. I believe that the way many Christians turn a blind eye to the clear, consistent, and challenging teaching about money and giving is a very serious problem in the church today. Indeed, it's not just a problem. It's an area of our corporate life where there is massive, sustained disobedience to God. For every one person who might feel uncomfortable with me talking about sex from the pulpit, I would wager there will be five others who are much more uncomfortable with me talking about money, especially if I dare talk about your money. Well, allow me to discomfort you a little this morning. I dare. Now, of course, we have all encountered abuses by preachers who whip up their TV audiences, pleading for more money, promising health, wealth, and happiness if you'll just pledge more. If that's what you're worried about, fear not. I'm not going to do that. Actually, the teaching that we have been promoting this past month through our financial stewardship effort is not a plea to give a certain dollar amount. It's not a plea to meet the church budget. It's not even a plea for everyone to give more. Rather, it is a plea for us to be obedient to God. To give back to God as a minimum out of all that he has blessed us with a tithe, that is, a full 10% of our income. The tagline, test me in this, on the front of our bulletins and on the letters you've received, is not something we made up. It's simply a direct quotation from the prophet Malachi. 
And that short book, the last book of the Old Testament, can be summed up, I think, the whole book in three phrases. In this prophecy, God says three things. I love you. Return to me. Be faithful. In the first chapter, God says, I have loved you. Second verse. And then a few verses on, we see God say, A son honors his father and servants their master. If then I am a father, where is the honor due to me? And Malachi then brings home a hard message to the priests first, who had dishonored God by bringing the leftovers bringing imperfect sacrifices, the broken and crippled offerings. They'd promised one thing and delivered another. And those hard words to the priests are then extended to the community at large. A community that had been loved by God, wooed by God, but had turned away from him and run after false gods and worshipped foreign idols. They'd been unfaithful to their wives and unfaithful to God. And yet for all the corruption, the faithlessness and the divorce that God so hates, the God who never changes pleads with his people then and now to return to him. And that's the piece from our reading today. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And God answers that question with this. Will anyone rob God? Yet you say, how are we robbing God? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then comes the invitation to be faithful. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. These words are not the words of a legalistic, greedy God who wants you to be poor. These are the words of a gracious God who has lavished his love on you and wants you to be blessed. I love you. Return to me. Be faithful. The call to bring in the full tithe I think it's the call of a lover to his beloved. And God's beloved is his people, his church, you and me. And how have we responded to God's love? I don't like to say this, but all too often I think we've responded with indifference at best sometimes. And willful disobedience at worst. Instead of worshipping God with our whole lives, too often we have offered up the dregs of our time, the small change in our pockets, and mere lip service to being his followers. Being in a relationship with God, 
while robbing him of your tithe is a bit like being married to your spouse while robbing him or her of your time and attention and love. So to the married couple who are just going through the motions, who pass like ships in the night and are too busy to spend time with one another, or worse, have given their love to another, God would say to you, return to the spouse of your youth. If that sounds familiar, it's from this book of Malachi. And I think he would say to this couple, invest in one another, love one another, make time for one another. Stop worshipping other people or your work or your own selfish ambition. Test this out and see if you don't experience surprising blessing in your marriage. That's the imagery that I think we find in this book. And it's, and it's tied in with what God is saying about our financial giving. It's not so much about the money itself as it is about the principle of what or who has first place in your life. Give to God the first 10% of all your income. It doesn't say 3%. It doesn't say 8%. It says 10%. And then see what happens. See if you don't experience surprising blessing. Now, I don't know what percentage of the combined income of all those who come to ascension is given back to God. But I think we can safely say it is significantly less than 10%. I wonder, what would it look like if together, and this message is to us corporately, if together we took God at his word and we actually did what he asked us to do. Can you imagine doing that? Actually doing what God says we're to do. Just imagine it for a minute. Okay? What would it look like to see the windows of heaven opened and to experience overflowing blessing? What would our corporate worship week by week look like if every believer in this place had tithed their income you see jesus said that where your treasure is there your heart will be also would our hearts be more in tune with god's if we did this i think so would our hearts be more hungry to listen to god to come into his presence to receive from him yes i think they would and then, of course, there's the money itself. Again, I don't know what percentage, but let's suppose the current level is 5%. I don't know, maybe less, but let's supposing it was that high. And let's suppose we took God at his word and we did what he asked, and let's supposing that 10% was given, which would, which would ripple out to a doubling of the money that was coming to ascension. Imagine how we could share Christ's healing with a broken world in terms of our support for the poor the broken, those who have not heard of Jesus. What would our worshipping community be like if the floodgates of heaven were opened? Might it be that we would see and experience an overflowing of God's love and grace and compassion to our neighbors, to our friends, to our colleagues? I think we would. We are surrounded by so many needs, so much brokenness, how we need a fresh outpouring of God's blessing. 
We need it for ourselves. We need it for our city. We need it for healing and salvation. Do you remember what we heard from the epistle reading? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Is it possible that we are not reaping the kind of harvest that God wants us to reap because we are, in fact, robbing God? I think it is. When we read Malachi, or you receive a stewardship letter, or you start to think about tithing, I think we have a shocking capacity to convince ourselves that the tithe doesn't actually mean 10%. It doesn't mean 10% of our income. And we come up with all kinds of reasons how we can come to that conclusion. Or or we have this shocking ability to assume that it doesn't apply to us. I think most Christians in our culture, in our affluent, rich, wealthy American culture, have become deaf to what God is saying. And let me tell you why I think that. You know, one of the special privileges of my work as a parish priest is that I get to hear people's confessions, whether formally or informally. And I, over the last six years, have heard many of your stories, including those that include adultery, betrayal, abuse, abandonment, addiction, to name just a few. And I never get used to these stories, for each one is pregnant with brokenness and pain and vulnerability. And often I am moved to tears. The stories that I hear come from those who have been victims and those who have been victimizers, from the abused and the abusers. Some people come in fear and trembling, quite literally, expecting to hear words of condemnation or rejection, so crushed do they feel by what it is that they have come to share. But it is a humbling privilege to be able to point people back to Jesus. And while I may have no answers to many of the questions, I am always able to point to God's love and to let folks know that God says to them, as he always has done, I love you. Return to me. Be faithful. But you know, in 17 and a half years of ordained ministry, not once have I had someone come to me to confess their greed. No one has ever said, I spend too much on myself. No one has said, I've come to confess that I've not been tithing my income And I am robbing God. Why do you think that is? I think there can only be three explanations. Either one, this is simply not a problem and no one needs to confess it. And our readings today must only apply to other Christians at other churches. I think we have to rule that one out. Don't you? Okay, second explanation could be that people are too ashamed to confess this particular sin of robbing God. Though many have been able to confess their sexual struggles, 
they're too ashamed to confess their financial ones. And I think this is very likely true for some people here today. Thirdly, and I think probably the most likely explanation for why no one has come to confess that they're robbing God, is that many people are simply blind to this sin. They've not recognized their disobedience, or they've buried it, and they've convinced themselves that they have no problem. So let me address these three groups of people. First, to those who do not have a problem with money and are joyfully and generously giving their tithes and offerings to God through ascension and in support of other Christian missions. I think God would say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And I should imagine that you already experienced the great joy of giving. Keep it up. But let me offer to you a word of challenge and a word of caution. First, the challenge. As you give 10% of your income to God, keep on offering to him the remaining 90%. How is God calling you to steward that? How might you be generous over and above the tithe, which after all is the minimum standard of giving that we find in the Bible? And the word of caution. Be careful that you do not fall. Remember, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around looking to see who he can pounce upon. So beware the temptation of pride. And maybe I can exhort you also to be compassionate towards your brother or sister in our church who's struggling in this area of their lives. To the second group of folks who haven't come to see me, that is those who are too ashamed to talk about this, let me say this. First, please remember God's love for you. Do you know, the first time that we encounter shame in the Bible is on about page three. <laughs> Adam and Eve, you remember, had disobeyed God. It wasn't about money, but it was about greed and disobedience. They'd eaten the fruit of the one and only tree that God had told them not to eat from. And when they did that, one of the consequences was that they became aware of their nakedness and they felt guilt and shame. So when they hear God walking in the garden, they run and hide. And God says to them, where are you? Yes, they had been disobedient. And yes, there were terrible consequences. But God did not take his love from them. Indeed, he made clothes for them. He covered their shame. And in effect, he said to them, I love you. Return to me. Be faithful. Indeed, the rest of the Bible is the story of how we can return to God, ultimately through Jesus. Well, the third group of people who've never come to see me about robbing God are those who are blind to this sin. They've not recognized their disobedience. And I suspect that there are at least four reasons why people end up in this probably the largest category of groups. First, some Christians simply don't know what tithing is. No one's ever taught them about it. If that's you, I hope that you will be able to hear God's word today and respond to it. Second, there are those who know what tithing is, but they think it's an Old Testament idea that doesn't apply anymore. And if that's where you are, I have to say I don't agree with you. I'd be happy to talk with you more about it afterwards. But let me just say this. Jesus, in his teaching, assumes the tithe. And then goes on to talk about how we can give over and above that. 
Pastor Tim Keller says this about it. I'll tell you why you don't see the tithing requirement laid out clearly in the New Testament. Think. Have we received more of God's revelation, truth, and grace than the Old Testament believers, or less? Are we more debtors to grace than they were, or less? Did Jesus tithe his life and blood to save us, or did he give it all? Tithing is a minimum standard for Christian believers. The third reason people don't come to confess their disobedience about how they give to God is that they have many good intentions, and they want to give as God asks. They'd like to tithe, they know about it, and they intend to do it, but they're just putting it off for better times when they have a better job, or their job's more secure, or when their kids are older, when they're done with school fees, when the economy recovers. But it's always tomorrow. A recent survey found that most Americans think of themselves as middle class, and only 2% call themselves upper class. We have been fooled. We have been duped by the advertisers and the culture that tells us we need more We deserve more, and we need to keep up with those who we see who already have more. And yet the truth is this. Almost everyone here this morning is among the richest people who have ever lived on the face of the planet. Indeed, most of the world would be simply staggered to see the level of our material comforts Comforts which most of us take for granted or assume are our rights. The fourth group of those who don't tithe is comprised of those who, because of decisions they've taken about their money in the past, actually cannot tithe. If you're living beyond your means with raging credit card debt, a mortgage that is bigger than you should ever have taken on, and a lifestyle that you cannot afford then it's probably true you may not be able to tithe. And the injunction to test God in this is not a magic formula to give 10% of what you don't have because you're overextended, and then somehow God will make it all work out. It doesn't work like that. Rather, the principle of the tithe is that when we give to God the first 10%, the top slice the portion that goes directly to God before we make decisions about our house and our car and our kids, then we will see great blessing. And I just want to add this. Don't be too quick to put yourself into the category of someone who can't tithe because of prior decisions. You know, in our economic climate at the moment, we've seen horrendous stories of people losing their jobs. But just imagine if in your workplace tomorrow you discovered there was going to be a 50% downsize. And at 9 o'clock you learn half the people you sit down with tomorrow won't have a job by the end of the day. And then at 2 o'clock you're called in to find out your fate. And you breathe a huge sigh of relief when you learn that your job has been saved. There's going to be some furlough, there's going to be some cutbacks, but... You've got your job, it's secure, and 90% of your income has been preserved. What would you do? I think you'd probably thank God 
and you'd be delighted that you have a job that's at 90% of the income you had last week when half of your colleagues have no work. And I think you'd still live, even if you lost that 10%. You see, don't be too quick to say you can't do this thing. But let me say this too. Just like in the cases of those who come to confess other sins, it may take time for lives to be reordered, for habits to be changed, for priorities to be set straight. I think it can be true with our giving also. It's almost never a quick fix. It's rarely a one-time deal. And one way in which we honor God is by submitting all that we are and all that we have to him. And it may mean taking some steps to get some financial advice. And many people here have been through the Financial Peace University class, and it's been very helpful. But I would simply say to you, if you're in one of these categories where you're not tithing, make a start. Get your house in order. And just like the person who is struggling with some more salacious moral failing, just as they may fall down and have to repent again, so too with our giving we may stumble. But once again, hear God's word to you. I love you. Return to me. Be faithful. And I want to close this morning with the question that God asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you with your Christian giving? Are you tithing or are you robbing God? I know it's uncomfortable. I I wish I didn't have to say this really, but I didn't write it. This is from God's word. And I don't know how you feel when you sit and listen to me this morning and how you react to this kind of a question. I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of you feel a bit resentful. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you want to hide because you feel guilty or ashamed. But please don't let your resentment or failure or frustration paralyze you. But instead, return to the Lord who loves you. Make a move towards giving back to God the full tithe of your income. The challenge is to us all to test God in this and then to see how God will open the heavens to pour down an overflowing blessing. God loves you. Return to him. Be faithful. Amen.